Greetings, everyone. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Hired Geek Podcast, episode number 127. Uh, so this is actually a panel that I was on recently, about a month ago, that was uh, put on by Glean, uh, which is actually a UK-based company uh, that does help support uh, institutions across uh, the UK and the US uh, with note-taking accommodation support. So really great folks over there that reached out to me to be a part of this panel, um, and they were gracious enough also to allow me to uh, post the panel discussion portion of this webinar uh, onto the podcast. So it's really great stuff, uh, especially if you work in note-taking accommodations, uh, disability services, those sort of things. Uh, definitely go check out their white paper. Uh, just some helpful research, I think, uh, to skim over for anybody. Uh, but then if you do work in this space, they do have a great community of professionals uh, that is also linked uh, note-taking support network. Uh, so go check all of that out. Go check Glean out. Uh, they were super nice uh, about uh, inviting me onto this uh, panel and for allowing me to post it on here for this episode. So uh, without further ado, this is episode number 127, a bonus episode with the Glean panel. And we have with us today three um, brilliant people, two people who work within disability support services, and one person who has uh, an interest in higher education more broadly. Um, and our discussion here today is going to be focused around a couple of the key points from the white paper research. Um, but we're also going to be taking questions from you. So please do submit your questions into the Q&A. And if you want to share your experience or any comments, please do share them in the chat and just make sure that you're sending it to all panelists and attendees. Um, otherwise, just Catherine and I will be able to read what you say. And that's lovely, but maybe not so interesting as sharing with the wider group we have here today. Um, so welcome to our panel. We have with us Janice Chapman from uh, Concordia University, Wisconsin. Um, Janice, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do at Concordia. Sure. Hello. Um, as as uh, Patty said, my name is Jan Chapman. I work at Concordia University in Wisconsin. I am the Director of Accessibility Services and Academic Resources within the campus. So I've been, uh, this is going into my fourth year in higher ed, but I was um, a Director of Pupil Services and Special Education for 32 years in public education before retiring and coming to higher ed. Fantastic. Thank you, Janice. It's lovely to have you with us. And we also have Sarah O'Shea from Georgia Tech. Why don't you come on and introduce yourself, Sarah? Hi, everybody. Um, there might be some repeaters of the Glean webinars on here that have heard me speak before, but I'm Sarah O'Shea. I'm a Disability Service Coordinator for Georgia Tech, Go Jackets. And I am also coming from the public school sector. I am going into my third year at Georgia Tech and absolutely love what I do. Fantastic. Thank you, Sarah. And finally, last but not least, rather, we have Dustin Ramsdell. Dustin, why don't you introduce yourself to the attendees? Hey, everybody. Uh, so, yeah, I uh, am a podcast host and writer uh, under the moniker Hired Geek. Been doing that for several years, uh, talking with higher professionals and folks who work in uh, higher tech like myself. I've uh, been doing that for a long time and just really immersing myself in uh, the space to kind of follow the trend line to what's happening, uh, what's going to be coming down the pipeline in the, in the future. But I uh, just really love... Uh, you know, the role, the role technology plays and helping to have positive impacts in this new experience. Fantastic. Well, it's a delight to have you all with us and we're looking forward to hearing your expertise. Um, so like I said, if you have any questions, do post them in the Q&A and share your experiences and comments um, based on people's responses on in the chat. Um, so let's go to our first question. 
which is directed to uh, Janice and Sarah as people who work within disability services. Um, be really interested to hear how the pandemic has affected note-taking accommodations at your institutions. And I guess it'd be lovely to have a bit of context, um, maybe think back to February 2020, what were you uh, doing for note-taking support at that point? And how did that change or not change during the pandemic? Um, Janice, maybe we can come to you first. So um, at Concordia, we were already um, fully on board and integrated. Uh, we changed over from Sondescent to Glean. So our students were already fully engaged in audio note-taking. Um, when the pandemic hit, we just transitioning them to online. It was, it was awesome that when, um, when Glean added the ability to um, kind of differentiate from the face-to-face, -face, cause they were, um, we have been um, asynchronous. So the, the ability for them to go in and differentiate when they were recording from face-to-face -to, -face to online and interaction with each other online, that was great. Um, we had different students that shared tips during that time uh, with each other and about uh, the, diff the stu different students that were using um, Sonascent and, and Glean. So they would, um, they would tell them like, you know, you can run Glean in the background and still take paper notes and then go in and, and add those, um, those notes in later. And what that does is every time you're doing that and reinforces your learning. So, so the pandemic really didn't change our operational. If anything, it, um, it made it, uh, it stronger, our argument as to why we need to have Glean and, and as a university. And if we can incorporate it, um, more students in using it, that would be awesome. Because we currently have, I think about 150 licenses. So we, um, if we can get more students on board, that would even be better yet. So, um, so really the, the pandemic, you know, didn't, it didn't change much. Um, our professors already were engraved in it. So, so yeah, so it, it it's, uh, we love it. <laughs> Glean's become a part of what we did. We, we had switched from peer note-takers my first year. I just cold turkey said, this is how we're doing note-taking now. There of course were marginal students, deaf and hard of hearing that still needed maybe a peer note-taker, but in a three-year process from switching to peer note-takers, which were paid, um, we basically saved the university about $30,000. So it was, it was cheaper to go um, and yet more effective for us to switch to, switch to Glean. So um, that's why I said we moving in, it was, uh, we were already on board. So the pandemic just reinforced what a great tool um, and piece of assistive technology it was. Well, that's fantastic to hear that you were able to support students so well during such a turbulent time. Um, I know you were saying um, to me beforehand that, um, yeah, it, almost no change at all happened when you, when you went online, which is really fantastic to hear. Um, Sarah, I wonder if I can come over to you. We had a little bit of a different outcome at Georgia Tech. Um, so pre-pandemic, let's talk February, um, we were granting audio note taker, Sonicent and Glean, um, if a student requested to have a note taking accommodation um, we also do not have peer note takers at Georgia Tech anymore. We went cold turkey as well. Um, of course, there is always going to be like a certain circumstance where um, 
I may have to hire a peer note taker for a student. Um, I'm never going to fully go away from that. Um, but we do grant software in place of that. So February, everything was going smooth. Um, if a student needed a note-taking accommodation, they received a license to Glean or Sonicent. I let them try either or. Um, we have plenty of licenses in both. Um, but I really tried to push Glean because, you know, that is kind of the new and upcoming thing. And there were so many things. And Georgia Tech was also a beta site for Glean. Um, so we've been through the ringer a little bit. And then pandemic happened and everybody got sent home and no one really requested for a note-taking accommodation. Um, professors were providing students with much more than they had in the past. Um, skeleton notes, PDFs, PowerPoints that they have never given out before. And so we really saw usage drop. And then we also saw requests drop as well. Um, for those students who did ask about note-taking and if a professor was not providing, we did explain how you can record class on Glean and it will screen record um, the entire lecture and you can record what the professor is saying as well as type your notes out. A lot of times the student would come back and say, oh, well, they already record lecture. I'll just rewatch lecture. Um, so we did have a little bit of a change pandemic wise. And I think since we're going to be 100% back in the fall, and they actually sent out the email yesterday saying everybody's back on campus July 1, uh, faculty and staff wise, I think we're going to have to do some sort of revamp and refresh on Glean and the note-taking accommodation um, just with our students. So that was kind of our timeline over the pandemic with note-taking. That's really interesting. Thanks for sharing, Sarah. Um, it, it strikes me as, as slightly interesting that um, with um, requests for note-taking dropping over the pandemic, because I, I, the need to take notes and the importance of taking notes, I think, is like didn't change. Um, so it's interesting to hear that students um, weren't, well, decided that with uh, extra stuff being offered from professors, um, um, it's great to hear that that was um, useful for the students. Absolutely. Um, Coming over to Dustin, I'd love to uh, ask you our next question, which is, um, I'd love to hear, zooming out a bit, how have you seen the pandemic affect higher education and edtech more broadly? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a couple of different things. I mean, it, it, you know, where we are now, we're just seeing that the stage has been set for kind of the onset of the blended university. Um, you know, everybody was forced into remote learning, whether you wanted to or not. So more people were exposed to it, whether that was faculty, staff, or students. Uh, so, you know, there's still quite a bit of kind of residue of, you know, some uh, bias towards online learning that it was somehow less than for a lot of people that hadn't, uh, again, any of those kind of stakeholders, uh, people hadn't really uh, been exposed to it. So um, we're just going to see much more of a prevalence of, you know, students taking some classes online, some in person, faculty teaching some online, some in person. Uh, you know, I'm even seeing for some campus professionals uh, that, you know, positions are being posted where they're open to remote candidates, uh, which I've not ever really seen for uh, traditional on-ground institutions to just say like, uh, yeah, you know, you can, you know, be wherever you are and work. You know, they obviously have seen that that's uh, possible to be done and the work can still be accomplished. So uh, that's a big thing. Um, you know, so it's just kind of 
adjusting and uh, kind of uh, expecting that fluidity um, and what the student's experience is going to be and what they're uh, looking for. You know, they need more of that on-demand self-service uh, sort of aspect to do whatever they need to whenever they need to do it. Uh, we're just seeing that that is uh, more of what students are looking for because certainly, you know, when you're on ground, there's going to be equalizing factor in a sense of like, everybody's there on campus, theoretically, everybody could walk into the same offices during the same business hours. Like everybody theoretically has that level of access. We have working adult learners, people who could just have a lot of demands on their time. Um, and certainly now when they're were learning remotely, it's like, well, yeah, I, I moved to campus while I was here, but now I'm learning remotely in California at your East Coast based institution. And I'm having a really hard time getting the support that you, uh, you know, that I need. So uh, institutions now kind of setting up ways for, you know, that self-service on demand, you know, they can set up one-on-ones with their advisor when uh, the student is available and kind of readjusting there. Um, and just obviously like implicit in the blended university is the existence, obviously with, you know, a lot of what you noted, like the digital transformation technology um, that uh, the role of higher ed tech augmenting uh, the mission of these institutions and impacting the student experience. Like, again, it's just, there's, it's kind of touching every area, you know, obviously we're focusing really in on one functional area here, but um, it's really everything. And just thinking of like, well, yeah, we have this uh, speaker coming to campus. How can we make sure that every student is able to be there in the virtual room to listen, uh, can watch the recording of, you know, like, I, I just think it's so much more of those things are kind of, uh, you know, and I, again, I'm, I'm hoping that that isn't just sort of an afterthought as there's a quote, quote unquote return to normal, but just the idea that like, well, we did it before, so shouldn't we keep doing it? And we need to make sure that we keep doing it because we have this diverse kind of audience of blended learners and that sort of thing. So um, definitely a lot going on. And then we'll, we'll continue to kind of focus on a little bit more of it uh, throughout this conversation. Mm, that's really interesting. Thanks, Dustin. Um, I'd love to pick up on um, you mentioning about the rise of, of technology more broadly, and I'd love to pick your brain about um, LMS in particular, because that's something that obviously has been around for a while and um, had started to get pretty significant traction uh, as a tool used very widely before uh, the pandemic. But um, certainly in lots of conversations I'm having with um, with faculty and with support staff, people are saying that that um, the LMS has become this absolute uh, piece of gold, like super useful for, um, for students. And there's been a lot of development and more use of the LMS. I'd love to hear your your views on that and what you've seen across the industry this past year. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it is the idea that like the LMS out of all the platforms that a campus might have, like objectively is where pretty much every student is spending a significant amount of time. Uh, and certainly we saw, you know, kind of my experience is that, you know, an in-person class might have sort of just a very basic shell on the LMS and maybe they submit assignments there, maybe not. And like, you know, it's just kind of made for every class by default, but, you know, varying levels of engagement. But um, obviously, yeah, it kind of became this like workhorse and, you know, very heavily utilized on, you know, asked to do a lot uh, uh, for faculty and for students. So, you know, we're seeing a lot more innovation there, kind of revisiting like, wow, this actually is like, like you said, kind of like gold, like this is a huge resource. Like, can we embed different aspects of the student experience into that? Like, can we create social opportunities for students to connect with each other around like the course content into the LMS. Can we make sure that things are, you know, announced there, you know, uh, kind of set before students in the LMS because they're spending a lot of time there to make sure that uh, resources and services are kind of set, uh, you know, more directly in front of them and more accessible. So um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great engagement 
um, you know, kind of opportunities for engagement and more sort of uh, people sort of thinking about uh, how can we kind of continue to really intentionally utilize that space and make it uh, as useful for for faculty and for students. Um, so I'm really, you know, uh, appreciate that because I've uh, always thought that there's uh, some overlooked potential there prior to all this. And I think, again, a lot, of, a lot more exposure to uh, what a good LMS can do. That's very interesting. Thanks, Dustin. And very interesting in the context of the the research and, and the rise of digital transformation as a priority. I would imagine we're going to see systems like that more and more um, across higher education. We're going to come to some of your comments from the attendees now. Um, Lauren has said that she has noticed a similar trend to Sarah on her campus um, of students not requesting note-taking accommodations during blended learning. But conversely, um, Sarah has said that we've had far more students utilising their peer note-takers, that's paid peer note-takers, um, while doing virtual learning during the pandemic, especially this spring semester. Students have access to the class recording and transcripts, yet they still need a peer note-taker. And John has shared that if classes were asynchronous, students simply paused and rewatched the lecture. So the accommodation was almost built in for those people. We've had a question from uh, Spencer and something that also Mindy and Barbara um, have commented and asked about, which is whether there are any suggestions for how you can support students to make the switch from peer note takers to technology, um, especially Glean. And Janice, I know this is something that you um, have experience in. Um, you know, when you joined Concordia University, Wisconsin, um, peer note taking was was about and, and you spotted uh, an opportunity for technology to sort of uh, take the place of the peer note taker. I'd be really interested to hear what led you to that decision to move away from peer note takers and um, maybe some suggestions you might have to the audience about how to make that switch and a bit about your experience of that. Sure. So um, when I came to Concordia, our, we had uh, hired paid note takers. They, they received $75, whether they um, ended up you know, like dropping the class, we sometimes didn't know. I would see copies of the notes that came in um, from our peer note takers because they would bring them into our office area, make a copy of them and then put them in um, folders for students to come and pick up later on. Some of the notes were beautifully typed. <laughs> Others were hard to read, not real legible. And to me, they got paid the same. And then I explained to students when they came in and they, they said, you know, I, I can't really read this or, um, you know, we talk about, and what I said to them is some, when someone takes notes, they take notes because the content and what they're putting down brings meaning to them. So when you get their notes, you can interpret maybe what their intention was when they put them down, or you may interpret something different. So we talked about how, um, and individually, I would do this with students as we talked about their note taking. And um, I, would, I would tell them, you know, note taking, when you write something down, it's going to bring meaning back to you. Plus, it keeps them highly engaged in the, in the classes, what's going on. So we actually held a, um, we, we kind of held like a user group. Everyone who was using note taking, we invited them to come and, and we kind of walked them through how Glean worked. Um, or it was Sonicent at the time, um, how it works, how, you know, they can, um, you know, bring in some of their uh, information that the professors place on Blackboard, 
Um, they also may have some notes that the professors or outlines that they can add in there and already set up. So we kind of showed them and then there were other students that um, kind of then would dive right into it. And we told them to take it now and play around with it. Watch your favorite TV show, practice taking notes with it, come back with any questions. So then they came back and we talked about what are those things that they encountered in one of the questions. The, the best thing was, is being able to show them and engage them. So it was like kind of a show and go type of thing versus, um, you know, just having somebody else do the work for you or having them try to figure out themselves how to use it. So that, that, was, that was kind of the, um, the best way that we, we were able to introduce students to the audio note-taking um, really by showing them the benefits and the kind of the development of the, their own um, advocacy and self-determination skills in doing that. So I, um, we just then shut off peer note-takers. We, we said, you know, this is where we're gonna place our university funds now into these systems and um, maybe had one or two students that were in there last year that used smart pens that wanted to continue using the smart pen. Um, but otherwise we, we had, really no students that kind of bucked the system. They, they fully became fully engaged. They, um, they continued to share tips. They would often get together. Um, we had a little user group and they would get together and share tips of how, how they use clean, different things that as they explored the system that I didn't know. So it was kind of you know, fun to hear that. And when we made the switch then from Sonocent to Glean, um, some of those same users were able to say, oh, here, you should see what this does now. They loved the new format where um, the PowerPoints and the PDFs and things were right in the, on the front and then the audio was on the, on the side. Um, so really once we introduced the students, they kind of sold it to each other. And, and now it's just been kind of, this is what we do. <laughs> Plus students coming in to higher ed from K-12, having worked in K-12, there's a lot of assistive technology, a lot of technology that they're currently using, whether you know, it's you know, clickers for answers or, so they're used to using technology. So just those introductions to um, what kinds of assistive, te assistive technology we have here you know, at Concordia was, um, you know, they loved it. Let's, let's go with it and use it. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing, Janice. It's really um, remarkable to hear how you just, you just cut off peer note takers and the students you know, bar a couple who, who need it for their finals and stuff. The students just adapted, they got used to it, um, and they they up their study skills. And I know that, Sarah, that's something that we talked about before, about how peer note-taking doesn't um, encourage independent learning. Um, it doesn't teach the, the skill of note-taking. Um, I wonder if you could uh, share a little bit of uh, your experience sure. on that. Yeah, so at Georgia Tech, we've and I, I'm watching the chat pretty closely right now. I'm loving all this conversation. Like y'all are feeding me right now. Um, I like lived and breathed and lived in note takers for a solid year, and now I feel like I'm finally on top of it. Um, so honestly, at Georgia Tech, we had to take a step back and look at our data and look and see how many students were utilizing the note-taking. And when I say note-taking accommodation, I'm talking about a peer note-taker. So a paid student worker, we're a little bit different. We paid, um, 
God, I can't even remember how much we paid him now, <laughs> but I think it was like $9 an hour, um, which isn't a ton, but if you're not taking notes and you're still clocking your time and I'm not vigilant on your notes that you're uploading. And we also have aim. I see a lot of people talking about aim. We're an aim institution also. Um, but in regards to taking notes, we had to take a step back and see, you know, is this just giving students a crutch or, are they getting by because they've had this since high school and now they're in the university setting and they just automatically think that they need this? Um, you know, what are we really helping them um, by providing someone else's notes? Um, especially in the technical and like STEM world, there's very specific things that you write down um, in formulas and, you know, someone who comes from a really like high achieving private school comes to Georgia Tech and then someone who comes from, I'm not bashing public schools, but I'm from the public school system, um, from a public school, they could have a complete different level of knowledge on something, say computer science. So we really had to think about, you know, is that student who went to the private school providing the best notes for the student who went to the public school or there is there holes is it swiss cheese notes where the student from public school is wondering you know why didn't they write down this formula this formula is on the quiz and i don't see it in my notes anywhere so um we actually partnered up with our student success center also and they had already launched a note-taking class series and it turned into a webinar. Um, so we partnered with them and any student that was saying they were having trouble taking notes, we would um, then kind of escort them over to that service. And, you know, teaching them how to take good effective notes is a lifelong skill that they're gonna need um, moving forward into their job and future endeavors. So we were really looking at it as a holistic, approach of note-taking absolutely and it was really expensive for pure note-takers for us <laughs> like i heard janice say that number and i was like oh i wish i had that number <laughs> gosh yeah well that's that's really interesting uh, to hear thank you sarah for sharing um we're going to move along i'm a little bit aware of time so i want to make sure we uh, get through all of our questions and my next question is about uh, universal design for learning uh, and one of the things that I'm hearing in conversations with people is that um, throughout the pandemic, uh, faculty have sort of been taking on elements of universal design for learning, um, sort of almost without realising it, you know, with everything needing to go online, there's been um, a move not just towards digital transformation, but also universal design for learning. And I wondered if uh, Janice, you could share a bit about this. Has the pandemic raised the profile of universal design for learning in your institution? So um, at Concordia, the, when I was hired, part of the reason why they hired me was because of my background in um, universal design for learning. I was uh, implementing it in many different school districts that I worked in, um, in the K-12 world. And um, so at Concordia, uh, in fact, part of my interview, I had to do an, a, a presentation on, on UDL and what it would look like uh, uh, for to have a campus that was uh, placed uh, with, with the UDL framework. 
So when, um, so we started embarking on that. We are a Blackboard um, university. We utilize Blackboard. The year, my second year here, the year prior to COVID, we did purchase um, Ally, which uh, Blackboard actually bought Ally. So Ally is a program that Blackboard can run that professors, when they put in their, um, their information, their course information, they'll get a reading. Uh, and the reading will tell them whether their materials are in, in an accessible format or not. And then it'll give them tips on how to make it more accessible. So, so that was rolling and, and then the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, we, you know, we had to transition like it felt like overnight, but you know, we had to transition to the um, remote learning opportunities. So all of our professors were putting their, um, their class notes, their, they were recording lectures, all the information was required that they, it was required of them to put into Blackboard so students would have that access. Um, and, and they, they, you know, they, we kind of knew that it was going to come. So um, just, you know, at the beginning of the term, they were starting to kind of work in that format. So what the pandemic did, it really, um, more of our instructors had kind of embraced that, you know, out of it, that UDL framework, that if I make all of my information and if I have it in Blackboard and then I have it accessible, I then don't have to go back and make these, you know, special requests or special accommodations um, as they come in because I'm, I'm already um, having my, my information accessible to those that um, require it through self-disclosure of disability or those that um, just may need to access it. So although it, it, it was a mindset change for some of our, our older professors, um, I'll say who are scholars, <laughs> and then feeling that they're sharing a bit of their scholarliness, I guess, and putting it out there for others was sometimes difficult. However, I think they understood then the benefit of it, of how, um, you know, just even a student who maybe has a, a, an undisclosed disability has an opportunity to get that information and put it up, you know, into a system, re-listen to lectures. So in, in, you know, in relation to the pandemic, I think it's, it's um, in UDL, I think it's, it's really fostered the idea of a UDL framework and, and has kind of raised that up, especially on our campus. I also think that, and I think Sarah had shared this a little bit, I think that the use of any kind of technology on campuses is just going to keep growing. And for me, I, you know, I look at things like, like Glean as, a, a, again, a, one of those tools that I'll share with them. Like if, if, a, if our university can't afford for both of us to go to a conference, I can go to one conference and I can record that over Glean and then come back and share that with you know, many of my colleagues back here. So the fiscal bang we get out of that is, is really enhanced. And um, so I'll share with students that I even use it when I go to conferences. This is a tool that you'll be able to take into your professional life. Um, you know, many of these assistive technology tools you'll be able to take into your professional life when you leave here. So by utilizing them now and developing, you know, the concept of how you use them and how you implement them is, is just one of those, I think, like Sarah said, one of those 
lifetime skills that you know you want to be able to take with you and and use the opportunity here when you're in higher ed to learn so that it becomes um, habit and part of what you do when you are um, out there in the in the professional world. Yeah, absolutely, and that's very much part of our philosophy here at Clean. It's not just about providing the note-taking accommodation. It's about uh, learning and using the note-taking as a skill um, to that you take beyond university you take beyond college well the research that Catherine presented earlier was all about um, the future of note-taking accommodations and how the pandemic had affected it and the research showed that we believe the market's moving towards a technology first strategy and so moving on to our uh, final questions um, Sarah I'd love to come to you what do you think the future of note-taking support looks like hopefully everyone can get rid of their peer note-takers um that was something that was huge for Georgia Tech. I'll just throw out some numbers. When I say huge, we were spending over $150,000 on paying peer note takers um, that were giving us not the best notes. And so I really think the future of note taking since COVID, I think the professors are going to honestly have a lot more to do with the UDL experience, interactive experience of the student Um, I honestly feel like they're going to give much more than they would in the past. And then I also think that, you know, softwares are just getting better and better, not only Glean, but like Microsoft is getting better. Um, I know transcription is huge right now. um, And everyone's kind of racing on the transcription race. Um, So I'm excited to see where it goes. I feed me all the softwares and technology. Uh, we will vet it at Georgia Tech for you. Um, and they might rip it apart. So just be warned. Um, our students are very brilliant and I enjoy working with them every day. So I just really hope professors give a lot more, are a little bit more understanding. And then I'm excited to see where technology takes us. That's really interesting to hear from your experiences of a a tech technological university and your um the fact that you're already on board with getting rid of peer notes it sounds yeah, like I, I, like i did say though beware they will kind of <laughs> they'll pick it apart <laughs> absolutely you wouldn't have it any other way um again it's something interesting that i've conversations i've had with people talking about how students are so used to tech already that they're coming to university and that's what they're expecting not the peer note taker they're expecting the well isn't there some software that can help me do this Dustin, I'd love to come over to you and and hear your opinion of um, the wider market. What do you think the future of technology within higher education looks like? Yeah, I'll just try to be brief. I think like the end outcome is that because I I like using this phrasing because some people worry like, you know, uh, technology replacing like, you know, the work that people do and those sort of things. I really think it's augmenting the work and I'm just maybe kind of reading the tea leaves from like, especially you were saying, Sarah, of like that amount of money, but also like the time that it would take to wrangle all of these uh, peer note takers and those things. It's like efficiency, like that, that's just kind of the name of the game and the better, you know, use of resources and uh, just allowing like your time and others to be freed up, to be able to say like, Hey, you know what? Yeah. Let me like meet one-on-one with students, you know, who maybe need a little bit of additional support or know how around using a tool, or I'll set up these like open office hours to talk about uh, the tools that we have to offer, you know, and those sort of things. So, um, cause that just sounds really great. And it's just that there's so much that has been introduced and I think it's going to be hard to really like scale that back and take it away in that same way of like what are the expectations of students and again I mean even faculty and staff like it, it's we've shown that so many more things are possible we've seen 
how many gaps and sort of needs there are from students just across the board. Um, and we've been able to, in a lot of ways, meet those needs. So um, I'm really optimistic about uh, the future and just seeing the ways that these solutions uh, uh, can be introduced, can be made really like kind of uh, sort of endemic uh, to the kind of student experience, like uh, faculty and staff are really like readily using them. Uh, they see the value and that they, you know, also, you know, with that idea, like stuff like transcription, all these things, they're just going to keep getting better. Uh, it's the idea I always know that like, sure, maybe it's not perfect right now, but like committed people working together to make it better, um, you know, we'll just keep, yeah, just keep improving upon the student experience. So um, I think the future uh, for my eyes, uh, you know, looks very bright. That's a great point, Dustin. I love that. It's only going to get better. What a positive note to end on. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Janice, Dustin and Sarah for your time on this panel. And thank you to all of our attendees. The chat has been absolutely alive. Thank you for sharing your experience, questions. I'm really sorry we didn't get round to all of them. Um, one thing I would recommend is that you join the note-taking support network, um, which is linked in the uh, on the screen there, but I will drop it into the chat as well. Um, and the note-taking support network is a place where you can communicate with other people who do the same job as you do. Can you imagine if everyone in this chat joined the note-taking support network? What an amazing resource of people to help each other out, answer these questions. And there are some great questions which we will follow up, take from the chat and follow up on the note-taking support network. So do make sure you join the conversation there. But I'm just going to launch a final poll off the back of this research that we presented and this conversation that we had. I'd love to know, are you looking to adopt a technology-first strategy for note-taking support? Are you um, moving towards that already? Are you thinking about it? Are you very comfortable with peer notes? It seems like a lot of people in the chat are um, trying to move away from peer notes there. I mean, some of the stats that have been shared here today, especially Janice saving $30,000 um, by moving away from peer notes. And Sarah, you're saying something similar. Um, really exciting to think of, of not just the experience for the student, but also um, how you can save money as a department and what that might free you up to spend more on. Um, we've had a, a really interesting response to the poll that um, I'm going to give you five more seconds um, to do that and uh, then we will wrap up. But just while you're finished uh, finish up the poll, I'd love to make you aware of our upcoming webinars. As we've mentioned, we have a webinar next week on Wednesday about Glean for Education, which is our new offering of Glean. And um, we believe Glean for Education is a way to future-proof your note-taking accommodations. Um, so much of what we've been talking about today is about preparing for technology that's only going to get better. How do we support our students better? Um, that webinar next Wednesday, I hope you'll really enjoy. And in addition to that, um, we've got upcoming webinars in June and at the beginning of August about um, topics such as compliance and universal design for learning, digging in a bit deeper into that topic that we skimmed over today. Well, I'm going to close the poll there and really interesting results to see. Um, we have a lot of people who are interested in moving towards a technology first approach um, and moving away from peer notes. And we hope that for those of you who this discussion has given a lot of thought to, do make sure you book in to attend this next webinar, learn more about what we at Glean are doing to help support you in moving towards a tech first strategy. Um, but I'm very aware that we've reached our time. We've had an hour. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, like I said, the chat has been alive, so I hope that's been super useful to you. Um, all that remains for me to say is thank you to Janice, thank you to Dustin, thank you to Sarah. 
um, for sharing your expertise. And we'll see you all on a Glean webinar very soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek podcast.